The Old Testament reading for this, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Amos, the 8th chapter. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. And this is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, the second chapter. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly, with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. 
And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our gospel reading today, we hear one of the more confusing parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of the parables have, that he tells have a very clear, applicable meaning to them. The parable of the lost sheep shows how he lovingly seeks out the lost and the wayward. The parable of the prodigal son shows how he lovingly welcomes back even his most wayward children. There's a reason that his parables are often used as Sunday school lessons. They're memorable, they're relatable, and they have a clear meaning that usually even children can grasp. But today, today we hear a parable that's a little different. One whose meaning isn't quite as well defined. In fact, just yesterday on Facebook, I heard three very different interpretations of this parable from pastors that I respect very much, none of which actually matched mine. So how do we know which is right? Well, that's the thing about the parables. They often work on several levels, just as this one does. Today I'll be preaching about a particular angle of this story, but three years from now, when it comes up again in the pericope, I may come at it from a completely different direction. Not in that I or other pastors are giving it a different meaning every time. The word of God is unchanging. But the deep truth that all the parables provide us is multifaceted, and it applies to many different areas of our life. That's actually the beauty of God's word. Well, the parable goes like this. There's a man who works as a manager for a very wealthy man. For simplicity's sake, let's call this manager Jack. Jack has been mismanaging his master's funds for years, lining his own pockets and wasting the rich man's wealth. When the rich man finds out about it, he tells Jack that he's fired and Jack is now in a pickle. He's only ever been a manager, and so he can't do physical labor, and he's too proud to go out and beg for a living. So he decides to pull off one last swindle in hopes of gaining favor with other wealthy men and maybe get himself a new job. So he calls the rich man's debtors to him, and he says, Look, I've got control of these books for just a couple more hours. If you pay pennies on the dollar, I will call your debt paid. And since I'm still technically his manager, there's nothing he can do about it. It's legally binding. 
It's such a shrewd move, such a clever maneuver, that even the rich man who's losing quite a bit of money from it all has to applaud Jack's chutzpah. And most likely, it worked. And Jack found himself a new master to rip off. So what exactly is the takeaway from this? Is Jesus telling us to swindle and to steal? I mean, obviously, no. Is he saying that if we are bold enough, we can just take whatever we like from God's riches and he will applaud our efforts? Well, no, because the prosperity gospel is a wretched heresy that focuses only on earthly goods. So what do we do with this parable? Well, we listen to Jesus. Not just when he tells the stories, but when he gives us their meanings as well. And what Jesus tells us, among other things, is this. No one can serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. Imaginary Jack, he sought to purchase the love of a new master by despising and cheating his current one. Even though the rich man applauded Jack's shrewdness, he knew he'd been robbed. In fact, Jack had hated the rich man the entire time that he was stealing from him and mismanaging his affairs. Jack's ultimate affiliation laid only with himself. And he was simply using the rich man all along, and he would do the same thing to whoever was foolish enough to bring him into his home. Jesus says this is the case with all of us. That we can't have two things that are of the utmost importance in our lives. No one, no servant can serve two masters, he says. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If money is the ultimate goal in your life, you will wind up despising God. Now, I am not saying that having money is evil. God blesses us with honest employment and investment, and he provides for us through the means of earthly wealth. But if money is your true love, if your trust is in your bank account and in your possessions and your stuff, then you do not truly trust or love God. You will break his commandments as you continually covet, as your heart is filled with greed, as you lie and cheat and steal to squeeze just one more dime out of someone. You will live a life of distrust, assuming that everyone is out to take your precious riches and you will do whatever you can to protect them. And if your trust is in your bank account, you will always be wanting more. It's never enough. There are never enough zeros at the end. There's never enough. The interest rate is never high enough. And especially at the end of your life, it will be nothing. You can accumulate tons of wealth, but when you die, it does you no good whatsoever. Think of the Egyptian pharaohs. They had the full wealth of one of the greatest empires in the world. And many of them used that wealth to build monuments to themselves, including the great pyramids that still stand today, thousands of years afterward. 
and we look at those amazing buildings, one of the great wonders of the world, and we marvel and we awe, but we can't for the life of us think of the name of the guy that it was actually built for. Love of wealth, it will consume you in this life, and it will fail you when this life comes to an end. When money becomes the love of your life, when it becomes your master, God is quickly forgotten or treated like a genie who we expect to grant us more treasure whenever we ask for it. You cannot serve God and money, for no one can serve two masters. But dear Christians, money is not the only master that seeks to take us away from God. You cannot serve this world and God either. So many Christians seek the friendship and admiration of the world around them. They try to hide away their Christian faith or water it down a little bit to seem more open, more inviting. They try to twist God's word around to match whatever sin is trending at the moment and say, well, that's okay because I wouldn't want to speak out against what's popular. They set aside what God has said and become a cheerleader for our wicked society, trying to seem nice and friendly and affirming and non-confrontational and despising God in the hopes of gaining the love of the world. The fact is, you can't serve both. You cannot serve the world and God because this world is very much at odds with God. The world is about sin and self-gratification the very things that God despises and condemns for our own good. Jesus says, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The things that this world proclaims as good and right and worthy and something that everybody should get behind and rejoice over, God says, no, it is wicked sin that leads only to death and destruction. We despise God when we take the side of the world. When we set his word aside and we say, I'm just going to follow with whatever's popular because I don't want to take any flack. I don't want to seem like the square peg. I don't want to seem like the bad guy in all of this. And all the while that you are trying to keep up with the latest cause, while you are bending over backwards to make the world love you, you are despising God and his word as you push him aside in hopes of impressing the world and making it love you. But the sad fact is, no matter how open and tolerant the world claims to be, you can never bow low enough for the world to actually love you. The rules, they're always constantly changing. And what you think is good and kind and loving today suddenly becomes intolerant and bigoted overnight and you find yourself on the outside. No matter how many times you apologize to the mob, no matter how current you try to keep with new speak and the latest cause, you will always come up short at some point. And when you do, that world that claims to be about love and tolerance and acceptance, it will chew you up, spit you out, and leave you in its wake without a second thought. You cannot serve the world and God. And trying to do so will end in disastrous ruin for you, not just in this life, 
but in eternal affairs as well. No one can serve two masters. And the world, it is a fickle and brutal master that does not care for you one bit, and it is not worthy of your devotion. But let's not just externalize everything either. Let's not just pretend that there are just these evil, wicked things out there that want us to tear us away from God, and we're just good little people at heart trying to do our best. The fact is, every other master that we seek to serve, whether it be money, or the world, or politics, or fame, or family, or sports, or anything, they all come down to the one master that we all truly want to serve. But you cannot serve yourself and God. All of our desires to turn away from God, they flow from the wickedness of our own heart. We're not innocent doves who get sucked in by the liars around us. We always actively seek out idols. We seek to serve ourselves and our own base instincts. When we sin, it is to gratify our own heart's wicked desires. When we turn to other masters, it's because we think we can improve our own situation and we can do better than what God has given to us. When we place those idols in our lives, it's not by accident. It's because we think we're better than God and we've got a better way. And so we cannot serve our own sinful hearts and God because they too are completely at odds. As we just confessed, we are by nature sinful and unclean. All of our thoughts and our words and our deeds, they are tainted and corrupted by sin. And when we serve ourselves, when we make ourselves the master of our lives, we reap only what our sin has sown, eternal condemnation and death. In your life, there can be one God and one God alone the one true God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, as he has revealed himself in Scripture. Him and him alone you must love and serve as your master. All false gods, all other idols, all of our own desires, all things that seek to tear you away from him, they have to go, for no one can serve two masters. But as we serve the one true God, we do so with joy. We don't begrudge the fact that all these other masters and idols have to go. We rejoice. Because where all the other false gods in our lives fail us, where all the other masters betray us and leave us in despair, in grace, the one true God serves you. Not that you're his master and he does whatever you tell him to do. Far from it. I mean, that's just back to serving yourself and the world and money again. God, as your master, though, willingly served you through sacrifice, through giving up everything to redeem you from sin, death, and the devil. All of the things that you brought into your lives, all the things that you deserved because of your sin, he serves you by saving you. You who deserved nothing but wrath. You who are sinful to the core. You who continually seek out other gods and masters. The one true God, your merciful master, has saved you from the eternal consequences of your sin.
This is why we don't groan and grumble about God being our master. He is not some tyrant who torments us for his own amusement and we're just there to serve him day and night and when he snaps his fingers, we better do what he says. No. He is our loving Heavenly Father who wants the best for us. The law that he lays out in our life, it is for our own good. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is how he loves us. And the truth is that we are forgiven because of the depth of his mercy and the phenomenal price that he willingly paid for us. You see, by our sin, we deserve only to be cast out of God's presence forever, thrown into the fires of hell, prepared for the devil and his rebellious angels to suffer for all eternity. But in love, God instead sent his only begotten Son to suffer and die in our place, to take the full measure of God's righteous wrath so that we could be spared. He didn't do it because we were so clever. He didn't do it because we had found some loophole or found some way to swindle salvation out of the deal. We were dead in our sin, and he looked upon us in compassion and said, I will not let this one suffer. And so Jesus Christ, true God, humbled himself to be born into our flesh, to stand in our place beneath his own holy law, fulfilling it perfectly where we never could. And then, even though he never once sinned, he took upon himself the entire punishment of every sin ever committed, suffering the wrath that should have been ours forever. And under the weight of our sin, so that we sinners could be forgiven, Jesus Christ was crucified died and was buried. But on the third day he rose again from the dead, shattering the bonds of death that bound us and crushing the ancient serpent's head forever. And just as he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, we too shall rise from death to enter into his eternal paradise and dwell with him forever. For where the master goes, his servant goes as well. No one can serve two masters. And knowing the truth of Jesus Christ, none of us should want to. So many things will promise us our heart's desires. So many idols will tell us that they're better than God. So many wicked masters will try to convince us that we'd be much better off with them. Money, the world, our own sinful heart, all these things and so many more seek to be the masters of our lives. But every single one of them bar none, will fail us in the end. There is only one master in our lives who can save, and he is the one who laid down his life for his rebellious servants. Even when we stray, even when we look longingly at other masters, God, the one true and triune God, continues to love us, to strengthen us, to forgive us. He alone is the creator and master of all things. And it is with great joy that we proclaim him to be the sole master in our lives as well. For by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.